Hello, I'm Andrew Hales. I'm here with Robert. Rob. Rob. Yep. Um, you're a lawyer. That's right. Yeah. How long have you been a lawyer? Uh, this is my seventh year of practice. What's uh, your specialty, I guess? So I'm a civil litigator and I focus on advertising claims and specifically cases involving false advertising. And within that, there's sort of two industries that I focus on. One of them is nutritional supplements. So claims about labeling on a supplement you might buy. Mm -hmm. For example, if you buy a pre-workout supplement and it says it'll give you a result that it can't give you because there's no science or it says there's an ingredient in it that actually is not in there or maybe there's an ingredient that is in there that's not disclosed, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's laws that protect somebody who buys something with a misleading labeling claim. So that's one sort of niche area that I work in. And the other area is uh, social media marketing and influencer marketing. And it's sort of a new area. Influencer marketing has only really been around for like the last five years or so. But the FTC regulates how the advertising around social media ads work. And there's right. a whole series of disclosures that they require um, if you're using influencers to market a product. And it's changing all the time. The FTC comes out with new rules all the time. and so. It's important for people in that space to make sure they're complying or else they're setting themselves up for potential problems. You've done it on contingency. Mm -hmm. What's it usually like, 15% commission? Uh, it varies. <laughs> I mean, it, really, it really does depend on what kind of case it is, but huh. um, I don't think... What's the biggest case you've done in or, terms or of lawsuit that you've won, I guess? So, <laughs> so the first six years of my practice, I was at a large law firm and big firms that do civil litigation pretty much always do defense side um, mm -hmm. because their clients are either high net worth individuals or big companies that can afford big firm rates. So they'll stu still do some of the suing, but most of it's defending. Hmm. Um, and the cases I worked on, I'm not sure what the biggest one is, but tens of millions of dollars were at stake. Wow. And that's that's pretty normal for firms of you know over a thousand people. Where'd you go to law school? UC Davis. Okay, for all four, how many years is it? It's three years. And that's after your bachelor's? Mm-hmm. Um, is that hard, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, law school is... Well, I guess like Reese Witherspoon can do it. Yeah, exactly, that was my inspiration. <laughs> no, uh, so law school, I really enjoyed it and I'm not, bullshitting yeah um, I think that people make it harder on themselves than it needs to be there's sort of a, a system you can figure out of how to not burn yourself out and manage your time I think the biggest skill you learn in law school is time management and being able to discipline yourself so that on those weeks where the work really needs to be done you can sit down and get through it yeah but not overwhelm yourself with you know going over and over every single thing that's assigned to you that's how people stress themselves out and how people say that law school is so awful but if you manage your time well i had more free time in law school over the course of a year than i did in college hmm. when it's just he said she said mm -hmm. what and there's no evidence mm -hmm. um is it is a conviction possible yeah depending on what kind of statements you're talking about who said them and how you can prove it up. So it is really hard though. It, without, it gets complicated. Without any evidence, you pretty much, so you pretty much you're saying you just need other witnesses? 
to verify. If all you if all you have is he said she said, it's going to be. I mean, again, it depends on. Like, what are the chances what? of anyone getting convicted? Well, it also depends on if it's like a criminal case or what you're trying to prove. Oh, what? Yeah. So the standard in criminal cases is much, much higher, and there's going to be reasonable doubt if it's just he said, she said. If a lawyer knows their client is guilty, mm -hmm. why would they defend them? So in, in the context of like criminal defense, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a big question that everybody wants. Like, how could you defend somebody yeah. who you know did something horrible? My take on it is that if the state is going to convict you of a crime and take away some liberty that you have, they need to do it, go through all the steps that are required of them and do a good job. And the defense, if I were a criminal defense attorney, I think I would justify that to myself as I need to keep the state honest and put them to their proof and be like, yeah, maybe this guy did do something terrible, but let's make sure you went through all the steps that you need to go through and effectively prove it. So. Because you can't have a situation where hmm. the due process that everybody's entitled to just sort of gets relaxed when some when you know somebody did something heinous. They should still have to prove up every part of that yeah. and make them do the homework and the preparation so that when they're ready to bring the case, it shouldn't matter what that defense attorney does. He should be able to come up with every possible defense and the state's case should be strong enough to get past that. So I think that their role is keeping the system honest, basically, which is a good thing. Keeping them on their toes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the thing with OJ, uh, they, uh, do you feel like they kind of cheated? Who? <laughs> OJ's lawyers. Like, didn't they kind of make it so they got more African Americans in the jury? I don't know the details about that. I think obvious, I, I that obviously have, the result, yeah. almost everybody would agree, was not the right result. Well, it, I think that it was, yeah, it became a race thing. It did. Yeah. And it got very sensationalized in the media. Yeah. And that's the thing about the justice system. I mean, you can have the best case in the world. I'm not saying they had the best case in the world. Obviously, yeah. they had a very strong case. But yeah, like you can he have the even best was case like running world. away. And like, what the <laughs> there, there's a lot of bad he, facts like, you could say. How did he fucking lose? You know? Yeah, but that's or the thing. how did I mean, they lose? I mean, yeah. You leave it up to 12 people. Gosh. At random. It's and crazy. People are swayed by things that are you can't you might not expect. Time-based billing mm -hmm. hourly whatever is that what you do it depends on the case some in some cases that's what makes the most sense for the client and the lawyer the and, client just has to trust that you're not diddly dallying well you keep very detailed <laughs> records of everything that you do so that when you submit a bill you have a narrative description of like okay for 30 minutes here's exactly what i was working on mm -hmm. and so of okay. course, the client can review that and call BS if they really think that you're wasting your time. But a yeah. good attorney is not going to do that because they realize it's in their interest and the client's interest to be as efficient as possible and keep super accurate records of everything. What are some things that influencers are doing that most people are getting wrong? Or Sure. So if, <laughs> if, a, if a brand sends you product and they want you to... Uh, promote it by posting yourself, you know, a picture with it or some words of support or something. The FTC requires that you disclose the relationship that you have with the brand to make it clear that it's either 
a sponsorship or this is a promotion or you got the product for free or something like that. And they, the concern is it has to be clear and conspicuous so that somebody scrolling through their influencers feed can tell that there's a commercial relationship there. So something like hashtag ad as your first hashtag, they actually get particular about like where in the hashtag flow it has to be. Hmm. Like it can't be the thing where you click the three dots and drop down and then it's buried in there. It can't be like in a string of hashtags. Yeah. They're just concerned that when you look at this picture, you immediately can tell they didn't just go buy the bag of chips or whatever because they like it. Yeah. You have to make it clear that that's there. And a lot of people aren't aware of how detailed the FTC gets about that. What's, uh, what kind of fines can you face if you're... So if the FTC, usually they'll send you a letter, a warning letter first, and then if they think that you're still not complying, they can do what's called an enforcement action, and you'll end up settling with the FTC, sometimes for a lot of money, maybe not. But a, another thing that you need to consider is competitors, if you're a brand that's following all the rules and your compliance is fine, and somebody else in your market sector is doing influencer campaigns and not following any of the disclosure rules, you can sue them if you're losing market share for their false advertising practices. Hmm. So if, you, if your ad campaign is not compliant and your competitor thinks they're losing money because of, you know, within the market because of what you're doing, you're setting yourself up for possibly greater financial exposure if they sue you for uh, unfair competition or false advertising, and you might end up paying them all of your profits from that campaign, potentially, depending on the nature of the lawsuit. But the financial exposure is competitor to competitor, or if a consumer buys a product, it's conceivable they could say, well, you know, I bought this because this famous person that I like so much was gushing about it, and I didn't know that it was because they were paid to say that. That sort of thing. Yeah. Fire Festival had those issues? Fire Festival really had those issues. And that's yeah. when the FTC got serious about influencer marketing or more serious about it. Hmm. Before Fire Fest really, well, blew up's not the right word because it did the opposite <laughs> of blow up, basically. Yeah. Be before it really hit the fan, the FTC sent, I think it was like 30 warning letters to the influencers because none of them were disclosing that they were getting compensated oh, so they, they to did, hype it up. They were warned. It, it, yeah, absolutely. Wow. And then there were follow-up letters sent, and then I believe there were some some enforcement action taken. But that's really what drove that to um, sort of expose that to the public and people operating in that space, that the FTC cares about this now because it's a big deal and because obviously pretty much everybody at Firefest was scammed. Well, um, okay, so NDAs... Mm -hmm. Can anyone just say, say, I just want to give my friend an NDA and be like, here, I'll tell you a secret if you sign this. And so I, we, we do it all and I tell him the secret and then he tells the secret. Can I like sue him or what's, how does that work? And how do you, like, that's so complicated, right? Like, oh, no, no, I didn't, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how the hell? Well, I, the first part of it is like, can you just make an NDA for a secret that you tell? As long as he gives up something, which he would be by agreeing not to disclose it, and you tell him, then uh -huh. yeah, like that could be an All right, enforceable no, I guess something, agreement. Okay, something more realistic is like something I, I heard about Howard Hughes. He would, back in the 
60s when he lived in Vegas, he would give girls an NDA before sleeping with them. Mm -hmm. And they tell someone, can he do anything? Or he just kind of just does that to, for padding or... I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not an expert on NDAs in the context of <laughs> for sex NDAs. Yeah. <laughs> That's not like my with, area. Like with famous guys, yeah. But generally, yeah, non-disclosure agreements are enforceable. And it's just a matter of, of course, you have to prove that they actually disclosed the thing they agreed not to disclose. If I just go out in the street and get hit by a car, <clears throat> how hard is it to sue that person? The driver? Yeah. It's not difficult. Yeah. I don't do personal injury, but mm -hmm. I, I know a couple people who are very good at it. Wow. And For free? Contingency? Those are almost always contingency, wow. yes. Wow. So, like, you have nothing to lose besides, like, maybe getting paralyzed, but... <laughs> <laughs> Your health and well-being. No. Gosh. Yeah, anybody who is injured and thinks it's, it's because somebody else did something wrong. I mean, I'm not promoting, like, you fall down in somebody's house and you sue them. No, of course. Should not do that. <laughs> but well, that's, like, uh, fraud, right? Whatever. It could be. It, yeah, I mean, yeah well, could the, the other time. person kind of prove that you were set, like, it was a setup or... Oh, yeah. I mean, insurance fraud is a big area. Yeah. So it's actually, I was, it's funny you mentioned that. I was looking into, you ever watch those videos? They're like dash cams from Russia where people get in like gnarly near misses or like crazy traffic yeah, yeah. stuff. I was wondering why so many of those videos come from Russia and over there. And it's because insurance fraud is such a problem over there. People were jumping in front of cars to collect that wow. just about everybody has a dash cam. <laughs> Wow, yeah, now I need to get a dash cam. But yeah, if you're injured in an accident, you should for sure get a lawyer to help you through that. Yeah. Is it illegal to be filming someone without their consent in public? Generally, no. If you're using just the act of filming a public space where people are, not illegal. But then if you, publishing it... Right. If you right. then use it for a commercial purpose, you need their consent. Okay. Man, there's so many little things. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot. You could really ask like a billion questions about law. Right. And that's the thing Gosh. that like lawyers joke about is like you can have a sp sort of specialty practice area and then your friends will be like, hey, I was speeding. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, well, I don't know every traffic law in the world. Okay. Public defendant having your own practice. Public defendants, they don't get as much money, right? Right. So why would they do that instead of... Some people are just very passionate about providing that service to people who can't otherwise afford an attorney to help them. And there's legitimate reasons for that. People who are just very anti-law enforcement, or that's not even the right way to put it. People who think that everyone is entitled to the maximum benefit either to, because it keeps the system honest and keeps the pressure on the state to go through everything they need to go through in the criminal system, or they think that uh, criminal laws affect certain people disproportionately and they want to sort of balance that out by doing everything they can to keep it as even as they can by providing good representation. There's a whole number of different reasons why somebody would do that. and. I, I think public defenders sometimes get an unfair rep for, oh, they, they want to defend crooks. Mm. But that's, if you talk to them, really, their heart's in the right place. You know, you can debate whether that's the right place to be. But they're, most of them are in it for what their sense of justice is. Have you ever declined a case? Yeah. 
that that happens pretty regularly. Okay. Um, what are some reasons you'll decline it? Uh, so usually I'll do an initial consult, a conversation for like an hour or so for free, just to get a, a sense of what's going on and what kind of claim you might have. Um, sometimes it's obvious from the beginning that the person doesn't have the kind of claim that they think they do. Mm. Like, oh, this person, you know, breached our contract, and then they'll send me over an example email that shows that's didn't happen, yeah. <laughs> or, or they, if they. <laughs> It would absolutely not be worth it for them to hire a lawyer to help them. Hmm. Um, so that's what happens a lot of the time. Other times it'll be maybe you do have a good case, but it's only worth anything less than $10,000 you can go to small claims court for. Hmm. And lawyers aren't allowed to be in court in small claims court. Hmm. And so it's, and it's cheap and it's fast and it's usually a better option if like, you know, your contractor or whatever owes you $8,000, small claims court is the place to resolve that. Uh, I'm reading some uh, some Twitter screenshots here. Did you ask Twitter before this? Yeah, last night. Oh, okay. Um, Dylan asks, what's your most absurd slash technical case um, that you've took on? I'm not sure if... It's so complicated case would just bore everybody. So <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get into that. Mm. Some cases you get just wildly complex if the facts span years, especially if it's like a large corporation that had some complex deal that went bad. Mm. They can last years. I remember one case at the firm I was at was going on for over a decade. Like before I got there and after I was gone, the case is still going on. Oh, man. A most absurd um, I think the the most absurd moment I had, um, so the case was, our client was not really in the lawsuit. They were, they were sort of like a side party. The deal was um, this woman had been arrested back in like the Occupy Wall Street period, and she was representing herself suing, I think, the city of L.A. And people who represent themselves in court, usually that's like, Buckle up because they're <laughs> it's, yeah. gonna, it's not going to go it just normally. Doesn't look good, yeah. And a lot of times, it's because no lawyer will take their case. A lot of times, it's because they just think they're smart enough to handle a lawsuit on their own. Yeah. Usually, they're not. It's not a good idea. But anyway, hmm. so she was suing the city of L.A. because I think it was like she was she had been arrested for using a megaphone where you have to have a license for amplified sound or something like that. Hmm. And she was claiming that the arrest gave her PTSD and all this other stuff. Oh. Um, and she wanted, she wanted records that our client kept for the jail, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't exist anymore. Like jails don't keep records forever. There's a period of time after which things just sort of get cycled out. Phone records. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, she calls she calls me one day and she starts off by asking, she's like, how do you sleep at night? And I was just like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. and I'm, you try to be polite to people as much as you can. And she goes, you know what? You're going to die and your <laughs> wife is going to die and your kids are going to die. And my first thought is like, <laughs> well, joke's on you. I don't have a wife. Like, what? <laughs> but, 
it was probably 15 minutes where I real I kept trying to say like, is, does this have to do with the case? Like, why are you calling me? Yeah. And I realized like, I'm just going to have to let her get it out. And so it was probably <laughs> 15 minutes of her telling me about how I'm going to burn in hell mm-hmm. over like a document request. <laughs> Man. So that was probably the, <clears throat> the weirdest moment. Wow. Um, have you ever defended a criminal? No, I haven't done any criminal defense work. Hmm. Uh, how to kill someone legally? Hmm. Is there a legal way to kill somebody? Self-defense, depending on where you live, I guess. Make it look like self-defense. Sure. Or <laughs> get them to punch you first somehow and then kill them. Maybe. Yeah. Have you had any friends do any crooked things? <laughs> I guess... Name your friends who are crooks. <laughs> you don't have to name them, but... Yeah, uh, well, what do you mean? I don't know. I guess, yeah, like taking bribes and... Oh, like friends who are lawyers? Or lying, or like having someone lie, like liar, liar, having someone lie on the stand to win a case. You mean like friends of mine who are attorneys? <clears throat> right. No, I've been fortunate enough to only work with actual pros. Hmm. Have you heard any stories of guys that do that and like they always win a case because they kind of cheat like that or um not to that level where somebody's like has a reputation for winning by being overtly fraudulent or anything like that there are some lawyers who have reputations for being a bit shady and trying to get away with stuff in the courtroom that shouldn't be allowed um of course i'm not going to identify anybody but yeah you can get a rep within the legal community for being a bit of a shyster and that happens. Do you get nervous before presenting? So I like being in court. I, that's probably the most exciting part. Like, yeah, you get a little bit nervous, but if you've prepared enough to the point you should before you step in the courtroom, it's kind of like it's nervous anticipation, but you're like ready to go. Like, yeah, let me present this. Let me convince the judge of this. Well, you're, you're not convinced. Yeah, the judge is there just kind of to mediate everything it's all to the jury right so the jury comes in at the end of the case like if you're at trial that's the end stage okay and most of civil litigation uh there's a lot of steps where you're before the judge before you get to trial okay and the stat is something like 99 percent of cases don't make it to trial like most things settle or are dismissed before then but there's a lot of motions that are heard before you get to trial where you're arguing before the judge and against the lawyer on the other side. Are you working on any cases now? I am. The lawsuit I have currently pending, well, one of the ones I have pending right now is a nutritional supplement case. Okay. It involves um, tainted male enhancement pills. Um, so there are these- Like like Viagra or testosterone? So, so um, maybe you've seen at gas stations that like up by the checkout counter, they'll have these pills called- Rhino. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So the FDA, <coughs> periodically will test these things and post on their website when they find that they're contaminated. And a lot of these pills contain the active drug in Viagra, the prescription pharmaceutical, but the label will say all natural or something. So you can take this pill not knowing you're taking a prescription drug that might be contraindicated with something else you're taking and kill you. Like people have died from taking this. You're working on that right now. Mm -hmm. Who's suing who? So the... The plaintiff the, is a 
supplement company that makes a meal enhancement pill, an herbal supplement that is not contaminated with any illicit pharmaceuticals. And so it's a uh, false advertising as a competitor. Got it. Interesting. Did a, okay, cool. And how much money could you potentially win? Um, I probably shouldn't talk about the specifics of an ongoing case. Yeah. Well, in any case, though, how do they even determine how much money someone deserves? Sure. It depends on the law that you're suing under, and that depends on who's doing the suing. So there's different statutes that say what the law is, basically. Hmm. And some of them carry different penalties and can tell you... It's in a book, like a law book, somewhere written. Uh, yeah, and it's all available online too. Okay, okay. All this, all statutes pretty much are public, mm-hmm. um, and those will set forth what the harm is, and in a lot of cases, how you calculate how you're harmed. Mm-hmm. So it could be all the profits that the company made on selling this their product, or it could be however you were damaged by them selling it. Um, it, it just depends on what what the cause of action is. There's just so many factors. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't try to do it yourself. Yeah. What's your least favorite part about being a lawyer? I think dealing with difficult opposing counsel can sometimes be the most taxing part of it. Um, most lawyers are pros that I've been on the other side of a lawsuit with, and most people take professionalism pretty seriously, but some people don't and just want to make a fight about everything whether there's grounds for it or not, or they'll want to try to surprise you with some, some motion or, or some argument where you have to you know, rush into court. Um, and that can be really frustrating because you're supposed to be peers in a profession together and not, yeah. not everybody takes that seriously. So, hmm. You want to shout out your, your practice? Uh, sure. My law firm is <laughs> called Robert Freund Law. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll link it all in the description. Yeah, there's a link to my website in the comments, maybe. Or maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want Rob to represent you here in L.A. when it comes to civil litigation, uh, check out the link in the bio, or link in the description. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Um, thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing. And I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.